Our scripture reading this morning is not from Acts chapter 2, I mean 20 is from Titus chapter 1. If you'd please turn in the Bible to Titus and the first chapter. We're going to be reading, um, we'll need to read 5 through the end of the chapter. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Hear the word of the Lord. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or a violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to reprove those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. On one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are all liars and evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be in sound, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. And they detestable obedience, unfit for any good work. They are detestable disobedience, unfit for any good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Please pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning. Our God and Heavenly Father, it is uh, a, a great privilege uh, to be able to preach your word, and yet, O oh God, as well, a great uh, and fearful responsibility, as we know from Scripture that uh, preachers and teachers shall incur stricter judgment. And Father, I ask you to be with me today, that you would keep me from error, that you would help me to preach this text uh, with unction and passion, and pray that it would be delivered with clarity. Ask you, O oh God, to bless this to your people. We pray that you would take away any unbelief that we might have and open up our hearts, so God, to be receptive to your spirit. And so change us, we ask, and make us more like Jesus. In his name, amen. How do you treat things that are valuable to you? Perhaps something that your father left you or your grandfather or something that you got from your mother or your grandmother, and it means a great deal to you. It doesn't mean anything to anyone else, but it does to you, and you treasure it. Well, how do you treat something that you treasure? Well, you take care of it. It's precious to you. It means a great deal to you. You love it. It has sentimental value, and you care for it. In the Bible, Paul calls... The gospel, a treasure. 
Do you look at the gospel as a treasure? And therefore the church as a treasure. In Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this, uh, But we have this treasure in jars of clay or earthen vessels. And that's talking about uh, the body. That we have the treasure in our bodies which are given to decay. And he talks about that throughout the rest of that going into chapter 5 where he talks about being long to be clothed with a, the body made without hands for us in heaven. Uh, but again, uh, the point is uh, that the gospel itself is immeasurably valued. And it is Christ talked about it also in the parables of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13. I will read to you quickly. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for fine pearls who finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Those things represent the kingdom and the value of the kingdom of God. And keep this in mind. Keep this before us. Uh, We so often uh, place our hearts here and the things here that mean so much to us, but they're destined to ruin. We can't see heaven. We can't go there now. Uh, We can't experience it uh, like we will one day. But we know by faith that it's there. And we know by faith that it's greater than anything that we have here. And we know this, that everything here is tainted by sin. Everything is. That this is a world that is broken. But yet heaven is not a place that's broken. Heaven is a place that is altogether beautiful, righteous, and pure. Perfect in all ways. You see the contrast there. So as the gospel is something that is treasurable to God, is something that means a great deal to God, it is that he has appointed the responsibility upon men to be sure that the gospel is kept pure and that the teaching in the church is altogether true to the Scriptures. And why is the gospel so great? Romans 1.16, Paul says this. I hope you've memorized this verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So the gospel message, then, is the message of eternal life. It is by hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel in faith that we are made righteous before God, and we have a right, it says in the Catechism, to all the privileges of the children of God. And being that it is, God would have the gospel maintained in all of His purity. Again, he has appointed elders in the church to see to it that that is done. In the church in uh, Crete, there are saboteurs among them. And the saboteurs are poisoning the gospel. And we can ask, well, there are some things that are debatable, some things that are considered one way by one group and one way by another group. We can talk about baptism. Uh, that we as Presbyterians believe we baptize infants because of the covenant and the covenant promise. Our Baptist friends believe you baptize only those who have made a profession of faith in Christ. Believer's baptism is called. There's a difference there. Uh, the mode of baptism, whether you sprinkle or whether you pour or whether you immerse, there's some debate there. But none of those divisions of understanding in any way do harm to the gospel. 
What's happening here in Crete is people are doing harm to the gospel to such a way that it's becoming null and void so far as the usefulness of it for salvation. A misunderstanding of the gospel, we see it that saboteurs pervert the doctrines, and so we see that the world's cults have a portion of the gospel in them, perhaps. Uh, the world's cults, some of them use portions of the Bible, uh, but it is that the Bible's not sufficient. Uh, they have to have something else in order for to really come to a true understanding of what God means in the Scriptures. And so there's perversion there. And the perversion in most cases, as far as culture concerned, is to the extent that the gospel is not the gospel anymore. And remember what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians. If I or an angel preach another gospel, let it be anathema, let it be accursed. So God treasures the gospel of Jesus Christ is through his son. He paid for our sins, earned us right in glory, and he would have the gospel treated properly and have the gospel protected in the church. And so because God would have that gospel protected, he has appointed elders to see to it. That is the case. Now, this is talking about church order, the way God has set the church up. That's not to say that you can be nonchalant about the gospel, not really care what's being preached or taught. That's not the case. You, too, have a responsibility to see to it that what comes across from this pulpit is the Bible. And what is taught in the church is the Bible. But in the order of construction, the way God has established the church, there are those that he has put in charge of that, and that is the elders of the church. And the first thing, then, the elder must be able to confront. As you know from the qualifications that are listed that I read a moment ago, uh, an elder must be able to teach. That is a task that every elder must possess. If a man can't teach, he should not be an elder. If he can't explain the gospel, he should not be an elder. And so it is that he must hold firm the trustworthy word taught by the Apostle Paul in order that he may instruct others. And what we have in the gospel did not come to us from human reason. It did not come through us through mythology. Uh, the gospel came to us from our Creator, by God Himself. That's the source of the gospel. And it is the only source, the only message, the only possibility of ever having eternal life is through the gospel of Christ. And it is, it is to be kept pure. So He must be able to teach. He must be able to give instructions. And not the notions of the product of a creative concoction carefully constructed from the cobweb of of the recesses of a vault of imagination. No, it doesn't come from our imaginations. It comes from the written word of God, and that's what we preach. That's what we hold to. And so it means this man who is an elder, not only must he be able to teach and instruct in sound doctrine, that means he must be a man who is knowledgeable. He needs to know the Bible. He needs to be familiar with the Scriptures. That means he needs to give himself daily to reading and studying the Scriptures. Not occasionally, but daily. On top of that, besides knowing the Bible and knowing what it teaches, it's good for his soul. It's good for our own sanctification as well. And so it is that this man must be a knowledgeable man. He must study the Scriptures. He must be educated and educated himself day by day. 
And he must be the one who is not the uh, explainee, but the explainer, if there's a question. This is according to the Scriptures. This is according to this text in the book of Titus. That's the way it is to be. And thus, he must be able and willing to teach the gospel. And again, let me read this quote to you. These are both from Alistair Begg. The ultimate expression of care on the part of the eldership is in being apt to teach the Bible so that people may be fed the word of God. It says this is the readiest expression of care on somebody is to explain the scriptures to them, to teach them and instruct them in the things of Christ. All other knowledge will eventually come to nothing. It will come to nothing. But the knowledge of Christ comes to something. And it comes to something that is everlasting. Again, this one, the essential qualification directly related to an elder is tied expressly, not exclusively, but expressly to their ability to teach the truth and to rebuke those who contradict it by precept or lifestyle. They are called shepherds, and that is exactly what they are supposed to do. Well, being the guardian of the Gospels necessitates then a negative aspect to it. Being a guardian of the Gospel, being an elder in the church, being one who is in charge of, seeing to it that the Bible is kept pure and the Bible is taught clearly, has a negative aspect to it. He talks about that in this text. He talks about some people. He describes them here. He says they're insubordinate. They're unruly. They are disobedient and will not be corrected. They are vain talkers. The words they say mean nothing. They're contrary to what the Bible teaches. They are deceivers. They mislead people by the things they are saying. And so here is the gospel, you see, and here is their understanding of it, and here's what they interject on it. And so that what you have here and that they're teaching is not the gospel at all. As a matter of fact, it's a damnable heresy. And so as he says, especially those of the circumcision. Well, what was the circumcision? What is this talking about? Well, these people are called the Judaizers. They were Jews who had made a profession of faith in Christ, and they had been circumcised. That was a part of the Old Testament sign of the covenant, circumcision. But these Judaizers are now telling these Gentiles, you have to be circumcised. It's not enough to trust in Jesus. That doesn't get it. You also have to be circumcised. It's very likely they were also telling them you have to observe Old Testament rituals as well. And so that they are polluting the gospel. The same thing was happening uh, in Galatians. In Galatia, the same thing was taking place there is they were teaching that you also had, besides trusting Christ, had to be circumcised, had to have the Old Testament sign of the covenant placed upon you in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian. So Christ didn't quite do it. We get into that same trap today. We fall into this business of work salvation. When our own reasoning and our own thinking, we somehow in some way contribute our own efforts when we are obedient. That has made me more, uh, more fit for heaven. That's nonsense. The only thing that makes you fit for heaven is Christ. That's it. Nothing else makes you fit for heaven. Jesus and Jesus alone, not the works that we do. Obedience does not. But it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here... Uh, and uh, this church, the Judaizers, was telling them that this was something that they needed to do. 
Galatians 5, 1 through 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Because circumcision and any work that we do takes away from grace. And so we then begin to try to merit and somehow think that the things that we do merit salvation. Well, it simply is not true. It is simply completely wrong. Paul is saying here, if you add anything, anything at all, to the work of Christ, anything at all, and somehow in some of you think that it's couples with uh, your, well, your uh, salvation, and somehow in some way uh, earns you uh, life and glory, uh, it is absolutely wrong. It is a heresy. It is a heresy that is even seen in our own day in some churches. Well, the elder is responsible in every church to have an elder who is to, to deal with erroneous doctrine. That is something they are supposed to do. <clears throat> so, again, it's necessary then for elders to know the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, you can't correct wrong error because you don't know what the error is. You have to know the Scriptures. And it's something that is absolutely necessary. A good elder has to be something of a theologian. Not to the same extent that somebody has a master's of divinity, a degree. But nonetheless, they still have to know theology. And especially in the Reformed Church, we have these wonderful doctrines of grace. That's a part of what we believe. That's a part of the Constitution of the PCA, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger and shorter catechisms. And these are absolutely wonderful truths. Uh, the, the doctrines of grace, the doctrines that are contained within the confession of faith, just bring great glory to God and none to man. It all goes to God. And so that has to be on the watch then for these things that will come up and these things that are to be shunned. He says here they must be silenced. They must be told you cannot, you will not teach this. Case in point. Wooden Presbyterian Church, uh, I was attending there one Sunday, and this man was teaching a Sunday school class. And he started teaching the doctrine of the carnal Christian. Have you all ever heard of the doctrine of the carnal Christian? Any of you? It's a heresy. It basically says this. Jesus is your Savior, but he's not your Lord. So that you can be saved but show no evidence at all. And what you have to do is to get Jesus on your heart. That's nowhere taught in the Bible. It came from Corinthians where he's talking about you are being, you are being carnal. He's not saying that uh, Jesus is not your, your Lord, he's just your Savior. You say the way you're behaving is inappropriate. Because you're Christians, it's inappropriate. You're behaving in a carnal fashion. 
And so as Christians, then, we're not to behave in a carnal fashion according to what Paul says, according to what the Scripture says. And this man was teaching this in a Sunday school class. Elders were in the class. They didn't say a word. Not one word came from an elder. Makes me upset. It came from Melinda. She challenged me. And Bill Morgan, who was a professor at USM. Both of them students of Reform University Fellowship. Southern. And the elder did not say a word. Well, it had to be stopped. So the next Lord's Day, and by the way, that was that man's last Sunday at worship, last Sunday at the church, never came back. But you can't teach heresy. If it embarrasses somebody, if it humiliates somebody to correct them, if it bruises their pride, it has to be done. And Christians ought to be glad to be corrected on things, not insulted should be happy and saying, thank you for telling me that. I didn't know I was teaching heresy. I didn't know I was polluting the gospel. And so there should be thanksgiving for that when that happens. And one more illustration. One time we had a couple coming here. And uh, this was a long time ago. And they believed an Old Testament diet was the kind of diet everybody needed to eat, a garden diet. And she was passing out literature one Wednesday night. And I saw this. I read it. And I said, look, you cannot do this. You can't pass this out. Because what's going to happen, number one, it's not true. Number two, you're going to get a group of folks that are going to join around you and have a little group and decide this is the way it has to be. And what happens from that? Well, division comes. And they eventually left the church as well. Well, we have to correct error. God doesn't like it. We can't like it either. God does not accept it. We cannot accept it either. We have to be willing to stand up and say when something is wrong. False doctrine poisons the gospel. And it's the responsibility placed upon the elders to see to it that it is stopped. And the elders' concern, and your concern too in this matter, would be twofold. One is the honor of Christ. To say that Jesus didn't do enough is to insult Christ and to belittle the atonement and to say God didn't do a good job of it. The honor of Christ has to be one reason we are so committed to the integrity and purity of the gospel. And the next thing is the well-being of God's people. If you're taught false doctrine, if you're taught things that are not true, it's going to affect the way you think. And we can't have that. And so that we want to be those who take every thought captive to Christ, and the thoughts that we take captive to Christ are true thoughts. They're right. And we have them according to the Bible. So to give emphasis uh, to Titus, to the urgency of the matter of dealing with this, he begins to talk about uh, those who live in Crete. This is not politically correct here, you see. But Paul's not trying to be mean when he talks to us about the, the, the Cretans, the Cretans, whatever you pronounce it. He's not trying to be mean at all. He's trying to demonstrate to Titus the urgency of doing this. And what Paul does, he quotes one of their own so-called prophets who lived about 600 years before this took place. Where he says, all Cretans are liars, easy beasts, uh, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Keep in mind, 
before the gospel gets someplace, this is true of people. It was true of you. To some extent, you weren't saved, you weren't righteous, you weren't holy. And the things that you did did not take up the thoughts of Christ, but your thoughts of what you wanted to do and how you wanted to be. These people were known as being um, um, uh, crafty, uh, known as being rather uh, uh, lost, uh, rather uh, crass, rather... Uh, lost and not saved and you know you do those things that unsaved people do so that i think we could say of all of us we were definitely evil before we were converted Uh, there was no righteousness in us at all before we came to know the lord jesus christ so uh, paul quotes this uh, old prophet he became was a poet also and uh, he does this because he wants to see the necessity of what's going to happen if he does not correct the error that's been taught because this way these people are, and if they fall away from Christ, they're going to continue in this way of, life, of living. Now, the people that have been converted weren't living like that. But they were in danger, see, because these people are teaching these Christians. You've got the Judaizers that are going to, it says they're ruining whole families. They're going into homes. They're teaching these things that aren't true. And they put then at risk the well-being of the family they are teaching the heresy to. They put them into risk. Of possibly falling away and not taking heed to themselves, of possibly embracing something that is going to do damage to them, not simply for a day, but for all eternity. And it's not pleasing to God. So there is this urgency on the part of Titus and the elders to see to it that they deal with these things. And they bring it to an end. And the people are teaching mythology. And laws that are based upon opinion and not the laws that are based upon the word of God. And then finally, he says this to the pure, all things are pure. To the evil, nothing is pure. Now, what is he talking about here? This is in um, verse 15 to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Most commentators think when he says here that um, uh, to the pure, all things are pure, he's talking about to believers. Particularly reference to the Old Testament foods, the dietary laws. If you're in Christ... All foods have been declared clean. All drinks have been declared clean. It's clear in the scriptures. But if you're trying to live by the Old Testament laws, that's not the case. But Paul says this, not only are the dietary laws, those things are impure to them, but everything is, because they're not converted. They're not fit. They're detestably, says, because they're seeking to ruin believers in the church by teaching them false doctrines. Christ isn't enough. You've got to have Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, if you're really going to be saved. And so it is something that is contrary to what the Bible clearly teaches. If I may read this to you. Let us not be obsessed by our vain and futile thoughts which trick and deceive us. 
Let us embrace God's truth and rely on it without ever turning away. Let us look higher than this present world and earthly life and come to our Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to pour out his gifts on us so that, assured of God's goodness to us, we may be confident of attaining the fruit and fulfillment of what today is promised to us for which we wait. The elders in the church are put there by the design of God. It is his good pleasure that they're there. But it's also necessary that they have qualifications, they have the ability to teach, and they do, in fact, instruct and see to it that what is taught from the pulpit and what is taught among individuals is uh, certainly true to the Word of God. And so that, how committed are you to the purity of the gospel? How committed are you to obedience to the gospel? How committed are you to the church of Christ? It's the apple of his eye. The church is the apple of God's eye. How committed are you to love it as God loves it, to love it as Christ loves it, and to see to it that so far as you are concerned, so far as you're involved, all that you do and say is for the good and betterment of the church. And every, every doctrine you embrace, every doctrine you hold to, is congruent with the Scriptures. Not your imagination and not your sinful will, but the Scriptures. If you know Christ, if you love Jesus, and I pray you do, then that would be your desire. Let's pray.